Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Welcome to this episode. In this episode, we'll review real-world experience with antibody drug conjugates in triple negative breast cancer. We have Dr. Kalinsky and Dr. Hurwitz. We'll have a nice panel discussion. So we'll start with Dr. Kalinsky. Dr. Kalinsky, you've, you were involved with the clinical trial, the ASCEND trial with sasituzumab govitike even in the phase one, phase two trial with sasituzumab govitikin, and you've probably utilized the drug in the real-world setting as well. If you could share your experience both in the trial and in the real-world setting with sasituzumab govitikin. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, one of the things just in terms of the efficacy that I always think is remarkable is that in the phase one, two, we saw a really nice response rate of a third. And, you know, that response rate was recapitulated in the phase three trial. But beyond that, you know, we saw an improvement in progression-free survival and overall survival for about six months. And at ASCO, you know, the data were presented with um you know, an updated final analysis demonstrating that these consistent hazard ratios were seen, um, you know, with additional follow-up. I think in the real world, my experience is similar to what was seen in the study in that, you know, the main side effects that I see patients facing is really neutropenia and growth factor utilization is higher than what we saw with chemotherapy. And that's certainly something that has held true, I think other sorts of side effects, you know, nausea, uh, diarrhea, you know, preventing, um, uh, you know, uh, if, if that side effect occurs, just making sure that patients have the appropriate antipropulses, et cetera. And I think the other thing that, you know, we come and talk about with patients is just the alopecia. And I think, you know, the way that it was reported in the study underestimates the kind of alopecia that we see in my experience, all patients lose their hair. But I will say that in general, what was reported in the study, I, I do think has been seen in real life as well. Yeah, that's great. So there were no new surprises with utilization of the drug in real world practice. Let's talk about another antibody drug conjugate, and we'll come back to real world, and that's trastuzumab duroxetam. Dr. Horvitz, you were involved in the phase three trial with this agent, and you probably utilized this in real world as well. So any differences in terms of clinical trial versus real world practice with trastuzumab duroxetam? Yeah, in my experience, the clinical trial really does sort of reflect how the drug is tolerated in the real world. In fact, I've only seen one patient who developed interstitial lung disease, and I've treated a lot of patients on uh, various clinical trials, destiny clinical trials, and in in real practice. And this was um, my first patient to have ILD was this past week. So I think that um, it, it too is, is pretty well tolerated overall. Patients will have hair thinning, and I think that's not emphasized in the uh, reports from the clinical trials as much. We're not as focused on that when we're looking at safety, but from a patient perspective, there is noticeable hair thinning. I've not yet seen full hair loss as we do with sasituzumab. I think the neutropenia can be an issue in some patients. You have to keep an eye on it. 
But nausea is the thing that I think patients are most troubled by when they're being treated with this agent. And it's something that um, we really do need to pay attention to and use primary prophylaxis with the infusion. We have to arm patients with antiemetics at home. There are some patients I've used drugs like olanzapine to help with this. Uh, Diet modifications also been helpful. That's great. And in terms of pneumonitis, I know that's been a big concern. Any changes from what it was first reported to now? Any value of early recognition? What's your practice? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, ILD in the Destiny Breast 01 clinical trial uh, was grade five in about 2.7% of patients. And that, of course, raised a lot of eyebrows and made us concerned. Um, But when we looked at the Destiny Breast 03 clinical trial, the large phase three clinical trial of TDXD versus TDM1, there were no patients who died and in fact, no grade four events. And the total event rate was down to about 10.5%. This may reflect the very careful attention we were all paying to that um, potential risk, um, careful attention to the presence of ground glass opacities on re-imaging uh, throughout the protocol and holding therapy even for asymptomatic ILD or grade one ILD until it resolves um, and permanently stopping with grade two ILD. I think the utilization of steroids, our um, pulmonary consultation with our pulmonology colleagues, These are things that have helped us to deal with this. And then we saw the recent data relating to TDXD in the Destiny Breast 04 clinical trial just presented at ASCO. And there they did see um, a few patients, I think it was 0.8% or so grade five in this large clinical trial. Still, I think within the range of what is acceptable with a drug that has such profound efficacy, but does underscore the real importance that that we have to pay attention to this and follow um, imaging uh, closely in our patients, not just send them off and, and look again in four or five months. I think we have to more carefully follow the surveillance imaging. Yeah, that's a great point. And the value of multidisciplinary management, getting pulmonologist ID involved as needed. Final question on pneumonitis TDXT before we come back to sasituzumab govitecan, and that's pulmonary function test. And the clinical trial pulmonary function tests were required, but is that something you do in routine clinical practice? No, actually, we don't have evidence that PFTs at baseline are helping to predict for patients who would do better or worse with this. I think there are some studies ongoing to look at whether following DLCO um, is going to be helpful. It's kind of like um, with trastuzumab when it first came out and the use of echocardiograms, we've never shown that picking it up um, quickly, a a cardiac event with echocardiogram um, is beneficial. And I think we're still evolving the best ways for us to detect and manage ILD at this point. Um, I think the best evidence is to follow chest CT and patient symptoms very closely. That's a great point. Uh, In clinical trials, we have stringent eligibility criteria, a number of tests that are needed, but they might not be needed in real-world practice. So that's very valuable. And then finally, on sasituzumab govitecan, before we wrap 
uh, this up. And that's the use of biomarkers. Dr. Kalinsky, do you consider UGT1A1 some data that that could um, predict for AEs because SN38 is metabolized via UGT1A1? So is that something you utilize in clinical practice? Yeah, so it's, it was something that's been looked at, it looked at in the study. And, you know, it did seem like maybe the rate of gastrointestinal issues were higher, but the, the take-home point was to not necessarily prospectively evaluate uh, for that, um, uh, with that particular assay. It's not something I utilize in clinical practice. I'll also say just in terms of safety, um, you know, we also looked at those patients who were older, you know, that were 65 years of age or older, just in terms of efficacy as well as tolerability, you know, with our potentially more fragile patients. And ultimately, side effects were relatively the same. The efficacy was the same. Uh, so in my practice, I treat patients similarly, uh, regardless of age. I mean, of course, if their comorbidities and things like that, then of course, that's part of the consideration. But for a healthy, excellent performance status in a patient who's older, uh, I will treat patients similarly. And that's very valuable to know, regardless of age, and you don't need to check for UGT 101, just start with the medication. And the final question, as we're on the biomarker topic, uh, trope two, um, the antibody drug conjugate targets trope two. So Dr. Hurwitz, any value of trope two testing in clinical practice? You presented the results at San Antonio uh, Breast Cancer Symposium a couple of years ago. Is this something you utilize in clinical practice? No, actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, while patients who had low trope 2 expression were uncommon in a sense, so this does appear to be a marker that is widely expressed in triple negative and ER positive breast cancers, um, the level of expression doesn't appear to correlate with benefit from sasituzumab versus treatment of physician choice. Now, there may be a trend toward worse outcome if you have lower expression. So maybe it's a prognostic marker um, that hasn't been completely verified, but you can see the delta in progression-free survival and overall survival and even objective response rates looks to be in favor of sasituzumab regardless of level. So you don't need need to check it uh, when you're selecting patients for therapy. That's great. So now it's fairly simple. It looks like the real-world experience is similar to that of clinical trials, and we don't need to check for trope 2, UGT 101, and start everyone with the same dose. Uh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your input. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.